Weber Footy. You are listening to us on the big 550 KTRS. Welcome to the show. I have my friends in soccer here, Matt Baker and Santiago Beltran. Uh, Matt, let's talk. Let's start with you, man. How are you doing? Doing great. Excited to talk St. Louis City. It's been an exciting week of soccer in St. Mm-hmm. Louis with the national team and just all the festivities that come with that. We're coming off of a win. We're facing a team that we very much dislike. Uh, we've got a lot of interesting transfer discussions going on it's just an it's an exciting time mid-season santiago how's it going man i am doing great ready for more soccer after some midweek soccer with a couple of games at city park and ready to go for saturday hopefully um city will get back to uh winning at home Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, things are feeling a little normal again, right? Things we're in our happy place right there at the top of the Western Conference in the table. Uh, We've got LAFC in Seattle looming as always right behind us. Uh, But we got to win this week without two DPs. I mean, that is the stuff that MLS magic and parody is made of. And we're here to talk about it. Uh, We usually uh, as I always say, there's a fallout, a flyover fallout on Mondays where we go deep into these games. If you, if you listen to our podcast, please do check that out. But now we just kind of take uh, one a moment here to talk about a little bit of what happened. Each of us takes a turn with a take or two. And Matt, we'll start with you with your thoughts on the, the 2-1 victory over San Jose. Since I get to go first, I'm going to go with the obvious, and that's Sam Adeneron. Mm. And it's not just the goals from Sam Adeneron, because both of them occurred on non-open field plays, non-open plays. And so there were the set piece from the corner and the PK. But it was the work between the lines that he really did that gave us that that Klaus reminiscent feeling. It provided a different look up front, a very familiar look at the same time. But yet having a left-footed striker gave us a really dangerous weapon down that left flank. And a lot of the, a lot of the work that he did wasn't just in, sh- in the shots that he had. And it was in chances that he created. That pass that could have been our third goal to Miggy Perez from the left wing was a thing of beauty. And so the opportunity to see what Sam can do to open up our offense without Klaus and to play off of Nico Giochini, which we're going to talk about later on, I was excited to see him just hit the ground running with no training coming in. Hmm. We talked about his his journey back to St. Louis City being getting the call, working out the travel on Thursday, flying Friday morning and back in time for dinner with the team on Friday. No training. He hadn't trained with any member of the team in two months. All of that is just uh, the, the fairy tale start to his journey back with City and now that he's had a week of training under his belt, I want to see what else we can see. What extra dimension can he bring to City that he may have just teased against San Jose? Yeah, we got a big boy goal out of him. And like you said, Matt, his hold-up play and his ability to uh, just be that target up top seemed like, to me, it felt like St. Louis uh, played naturally with him, with him there. It wasn't like you know something they had to work at or figure out. It was just like, oh, we got a big guy we can lump it up to. And, and he, he did well with that, and I think the whole team thrived in that way, and I hope it continues. Santiago, any takes from that game from you? Yeah, for me, um, it was just winning uh, with what I call the kids. Mm. Um, six guys that were on the starting 11 last year, they were playing MLS Next Pro or USL Championship in the case of Sam Alenir that ended the year playing in USL. But uh, it's just great to see uh, 
how guys that last year were in MLS uh, were able to hold their own and, and win an important game. Absolutely. And that's kind of what my take is as well. Like, is, is the system the star? Is MLS parody the star with that San Jose game? I, I go back and forth. Like, it, it was amazing to me. It was such a relief that, you know, the designated team thing worked, right? Just like you guys said, missing all the star players, all the young players were, were in on this one. A lot of players that weren't starting were in on this one. Uh, but they uh, were able to make that system work as it was intended to. And, you know, there wasn't just one player that had a star moment and, you know, took, stole the show like a Leuven or Klaus has done in the past. It was the system and the system did its job. It looked right. And um, we pulled a win out. And it just makes me wonder, is it the system? Is it just a lucky parody game? Kind of like we've had some unlucky ones as well in the past. And so in some ways, I'm balancing my brain between the two. You know, I'm not as disappointed in, in the silly draws or the silly losses. But at the same time, it makes me feel like we can do this. We can limp all the way to the playoffs if we have to without our DPs. Not something I want, but it made me feel really good in that in that way. Well, when you're talking about if this is the system a star, and I think this, these next few matches provide the perfect runway to to trying that out and we know that without klaus it took three games to find a win and when we did we went on a three-game winning streak we got to our third match without leuven and klaus we won can we turn that into a winning streak because our next few games are very favorable i mean let's be honest we're going to preview the colorado rapids match in a moment but after that it's toronto fc the second worst team in the east mm -hmm. and then lafc has a challenge for us but then it's miami and Messi, minus Messi, minus Busquets, the Miami that is currently last in the East. So three of our next four matches are borderline must win because of how winnable they are. And when you face teams like that and you're rounding into form with this new compliment, so to speak, or this new look that a Klausless and a Leuvenless team offers, this is the perfect opportunity to really finish the first portion of the season strong. And I think we're lucky in that sense as City fans because we've seen this system have that next man up mentality proven mm. time and time again, quite literally with Klaus and now Klaus and Leuven. So assuming that our health maintains at this at this level and we can look to what happens after League's Cup break, these next three, three out of four matches at least to me are must win because of how winnable they are. That's a good point. Yeah. I look forward to seeing, you know, playing all of that out and seeing whether that's true and what this team looks like um, against those teams with this roster. Uh, but there's a lot of news to cover this week, and I'd really, I've been looking forward to this portion of the show tonight. And um, Santiago, I think I'd, I'd like to start with you on this. You were at the uh, press conference as well, and maybe you can get us uh, started on some of the things we learned this week. Yeah, yeah, so obviously... Uh... Klaus and Leuven is still out. Um, there hasn't been much talk about uh, their timeline, but uh, the last, what was provided last week was four weeks for Klaus, four to six for Leuven. So now three weeks for Klaus, three to five for Leuven. Um, Joachim Nilsson, last week, uh, the, the timeline was two to four weeks. Yesterday, he, he wasn't in practice. Um, Bradley Carnell, the way he said it was more like, yeah, it's more like a rest day. He, he knows his body. He has been working hard. Uh, but then today he wasn't there either. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Lutz during the press conference uh, said that um, 
it will be after Leaks Cup, mm. uh, after the Leaks Cup break. So that's more than one to three weeks. So I'm um, not sure it maybe had a setback or a minor knock. Uh, I'm sure we'll find out more in the next few days. That's that's Klaus' timeline. Because Klaus's timeline puts him on uh, worst case on the other side of League's Cup into the League's Cup break. So if we stick to that, which that's not even a known, um, you know, you have to wonder kind of was there was there a setback with Nilsson or is this more prescribed and they want to take it easy? They mm -hmm. see how informed the team is now and so they don't want to rush him. They want to give him that extra time. There's um. There's an interesting dynamic that's unfolding here in not just fandom, but in the updates that we're getting from the, the, the team on the players. And I keep going back to we're dealing with muscle injuries and we're dealing with post-surgery type recoveries. Like these are, these are tenuous issues that really depend on how the body's going to respond. None of us have anything that resembles a medical degree I don't. I don't care how much you you talk about it on Twitter. It doesn't. We don't have it. I mean, Matt, and you so, work for Mercy, so it's like the same thing. <laughs> right, right, right. There yeah. you go. The tech side and the clinical side. It's all the same. Doctor uh, Baker. The the uh, the thing is the amount of questioning of our of our training and medical staff has been a little heavy handed to I me agree. lately. Yeah. And and yes, you like Twitter often brings out the worst in us. Social media does. The Facebook groups. But just because we hear a timeline and a time frame on a player like Nilsson from last year, like Klaus from earlier this year, and it, it progresses beyond that timeline, doesn't necessarily mean that our training team is at fault or has done something that is abnormal. It could just as easily very much and is likely the fact that our players' bodies haven't responded to the training that is exactly what they should be undergoing. And, and every every body is different. Every player is different. So it's our first year in existence, and we're dealing with this. And there's a lot of knee-jerk reactions going on. There's a lot of commentary that are questioning the team and the staff and everything because the team has, in my, my in my opinion, been brave enough to attempt to give us ideas and estimates. And you you take the you, you can't have it both ways. Either the team gives you the information and the estimates as yeah. they know it at the time or they don't give you anything and you're left to guess, he's still out, he's still out. We haven't heard anything. They're not giving a timeline. You can't have it both ways. No, I was gonna yeah. say the same thing to kind of reiterate that is that these communications directors, we've created these guys that put a stranglehold on information that drives us all crazy by freaking out and overreacting. These guys don't wanna let any news out and I don't blame them for it to be honest, but if we can just be understanding and have some nuance and under, you know, I think that would be helpful. Sorry, I cut you off there, Santi. I was gonna say the one thing um, that at least I don't know uh, because this is uh, like, yeah, we cover St. Louis FC, but it wasn't the same. You don't get uh, all that detail. Uh, so at least for me, this is the first experience with a team and with their updates. So and I know a lot people are complaining, but what are they comparing it to? Like, do they know if mm -hmm. other MLS teams are more precise with their updates or I'm not sure. Uh, just just putting that out there. I agree. Good point. I agree. You're listening to Flyover Footy on the Big 550 KTRS. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Matt, I think there might be a couple more uh, talking points about injuries that we have to talk about. 
quick hits coming out of the San Jose game. Tim Parker didn't practice on Tuesday. Apparently, Josh Yarrow had stepped on his foot in that game. It was still swollen earlier in the week, but Parker was back in practice on Wednesday and Thursday, so he seems good to go. Miggy Perez, on the other hand, didn't practice Wednesday and is apparently recovering from an ankle injury that he suffered against San Jose. He was at the beginning of team activities on Thursday, but he stopped and started doing solo work a short while into that. Uh, his response to treatment is going to determine his availability, and that's going to be a player to watch in that midfield and the depth that we have. And then Tomas Ostrak, not injury-related. Don't worry about that. Tomas <laughs> Ostrak, unfortunately, is out against Colorado due to yellow card accumulation. And when I tell you that there's some perfect timing going on with this, <laughs> you better believe there's some unfortunate perfect timing. Ostrak would have had his uh, yellows uh, forgiven, if the FC Dallas match was counted as having taken place when we finished it, not when we started it. Oh because Ostrock got a yellow against FC Dallas, which basically reset the clock. It, it, it's, it happened on game five, in which he would have had a yellow card forgiven. Because in MLS, just to reiterate, if you have five yellow cards um, the, for your first suspension, if you have five yellow cards uh, in a row, you will be suspended. And so that's happened to Ostrock. Um, you can be have you can have a yellow forgiven in that sequence if you go five matches without accruing one. Ostrock had gotten one in the first FC Dallas match in May that reset the clock. And when he got his next one and continued his streak, he now has yellow card accumulation. He'll be out against Colorado. Very interesting. But hey, the match log on MLS.com says that game was on June 7, so I was looking at it and I was like, there's no way he's suspended. So I, te I texted Matt and it took us a while to figure it out, but uh, it's just interesting that even though the league says that game was on May 6, um, everywhere you look, it says June 7. I enjoyed the meme you posted on that one, Matt, about the communications versus the technical <laughs> staff. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't surprise me that the, the website guys don't have all the up-to-date information. But just to just to show you how kind of crazy the timeline is, Ostrock had a yellow against Austin. He went Charlotte, Portland, San Jose, Salt Lake without one, Minnesota. And then, and then at that point, uh, FC Dallas's match was in the middle of that. And so if you look at MLS's website, he went five matches. He went six matches, seven matches. But because that FC Dallas match was in the middle, I think it was right after Charlotte or, or no, it was, it was. No, no, no. Yeah. He, he went, he went at least five games with that one. So the first one was erased. Forgiven. Yeah. Forgiven. And then Cincinnati, yeah. he had one. Mm -hmm. And then he had another against FC Dallas, LA Galaxy, Salt Lake and San Jose. And because the FC Dallas one was in May and not in June, that sequence of Colorado, Portland, Chicago, Sporting Kansas City, and Vancouver, Houston was interrupted. Everyone, find it's, a it's, it's in the weeds. It's in the weeds. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it'll, go, it'll make you go crazy if you think about it too much. But just the fact that FC Dallas, he accumulated one in that, it's... He's suspended. I defy you to find a radio show across the nation that's going that deep on yellow cards. So you're welcome, everybody. <laughs> I actually didn't understand those tweets till tonight fully, so that actually was helpful for me. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Um, but we're here to get you ready for that Colorado game. Uh, that last one that we played against them, the city played against them, sticks in my mind very strongly because we did have Luvin, we did have Klaus, 1-1 draw, and City looked terrible. 
terrible in the first half, uh, but pulled out the draw, and it felt like a win in that case, in my opinion. So um, let's talk about phase two, part two here. And uh, Matt, can you start previewing Colorado for us to uh, figure out what we're looking at this weekend? As usual, let's set the stage. St. Louis comes into this back in first place in the West with 32 points through 19 games. St. Louis has a 10-7-2 record. That's 10 wins, 7 losses, 2 draws. We have 37 goals scored and a plus 13 goal differential. 6-3-1 record at home. Our last three matches in form, we won against San Jose 2-1. We had a 3-1 loss at home against RSL midweek and a 3-1 loss at Nashville the week prior. These are all matches without Eddie Leuven. Colorado comes into this 14th and last in the West with just 14 points through 19 matches, two nine and eight record with 14 goals scored in those 19 matches and a minus 13 goal differential. Colorado's silver lining though is that they're two five and three in their away record, meaning that they have zero home wins, but all of their wins have come away. Interesting that uh, their last three matches as well, which this kind of speaks to not just their inability to score, but also their defense. Colorado's last three were a nil-nil draw to L.A. at home, the L.A. Galaxy. They had a postponed match at Vancouver, which has been rescheduled. Then before that, a 2-0 loss at Orlando and a nil-nil draw to San Jose at home. Phil, I'll say that Colorado has been shut out in 10 of their 19 matches this year. They've scored one goal in five others. And in the three matches where they've scored two goals, they didn't win. They have a 3-1 win over the L.A. Galaxy and a 1-0 win against SKC, but that was back on May 6th and April 8th, respectively. You mentioned the match against St. Louis City. Well, Colorado has been just 1-6-3 and three since that draw against St. Louis. Yeah, and if, after that win against um, LA Galaxy, they have been 0-6-2. Uh, mm. May 6th, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I hope Only I'm not... a couple of ties. I hope I'm not stepping on your toes here, Matt, but um, I often do, and you work around it. But, uh, you know, that last game against Colorado, I think we even said it leading into that game that they create chances okay um, for the type of team that they are, and uh, they just don't finish them off that we were noticing that early in the season. And I was in my research, I realized that their starting striker, their number nine, this man starts almost every game, has two goals. I mean, just wild um i just can't believe that's the case and and you know that's not it happens uh, and sometimes it even works with a low scoring striker but anyway that that blew my mind and you know just that shot map against us in, in the last game was insane they, i mean they had shots all over inside outside the box and you know we came out on, on you know in, in a draw but it felt like on top they pepper berkey. Berkey. Yeah. yeah berkey had 12 saves mls all-star berkey <laughs> He can put that there at the top go. of his mantle, yeah. right up there with it. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, we'll talk about their the way that they play, but the fact that their leading goal scorer is Kevin Cabral, which as your striker isn't abnormal, but he, along with Cole Bassett, Barrios, and Abubakar, have two goals. And we're, we're talking about a Rapids team that has 14 goals in 19 matches. They don't have any player with more than two goals. This is not any any sort of a high octane offense this is a, a team that struggles to finish everything and they have a decent xg so you know we're not going to talk too much about xg tonight just because there's not a whole lot to say when it comes to colorado but they're underperforming their xg so they do get shots off they're just so low percentage 
Yeah, since the Gold Cup was around, was was that last night? It was last night. Um, yeah. You know, we saw Mihailovic play in that game. He looked great. He spent a lot of time in, the, or he's been in the Netherlands for the last year or so. And Cole Bassett just came back from the Netherlands, and I thought for sure he would be a dead-on starter at the beginning of the season for something like the Gold Cup And uh, since he's back in MLS. And he just hasn't performed well enough to do it. I'm not saying it's his fault. could be a could be a Colorado thing, but um, I think we got some more stats for everybody as far as what Colorado is like. If you'd like to take us to the next phase here, Matt. Yeah, I like some of these interesting ones that, that speak to what Colorado likes to do before we get into their style and their strengths and weaknesses. Colorado is 22nd in the league in crosses sent in, and they're fifth in switches. So a switch is obviously moving the ball across the field, but it's passes of more than 40 yards. So they switch all the time. Colorado is also 25th in shot creating actions per 90. That counts the number of final two offensive actions leading directly to a shot. And they're 28th in goal creating actions per 90 that lead directly to a goal. So this is this speaks to the advanced stats really backing up what we just said, that they can't finish and they're not good overall at creating good uh, high percentage shots. Also, Colorado's seventh in clearances. So when you look at what we talk about typically with Tim Parker, Lucas Bartlett, Kyle Hebert, they just clear the ball out, whether it's header or what, when the ball sent in. Colorado's just as good. In fact, St. Louis is eighth and Colorado's seventh. So both of these teams, you could see a lot of balls played high. You could see a lot of line-breaking moves attempted. And both teams have a strong back line that can take care of that. The other two are that Colorado is last in tackles and interceptions, while St. Louis is first. So a very juxtaposition of styles going on here. Colorado does not like to tackle. They won't intercept the ball a lot. So we might have some opportunities there when you come with our playmakers in the midfield. Indiana Vasilev comes to mind. And then St. Louis is going to be very physical. Obviously, Jared Stroud, Tim Parker come to mind when you think about that. I, I'm interested to see how Sam Adeneron can initiate some of these high presses. And Colorado is 27th in blocks. So St. Louis, again, first in blocks, just like they are in tackles and interceptions. This is not a Colorado team that really puts themselves in the middle of the ball. They will fall back. And when we talk about their style and what they like to do, it's going to be a very obvious that this is a very different team than St. Louis City. Well, let's let's go straight into that. We're, we're kind of burning along here, but still, that's kind of what I want to hear about, especially because, you know, I, I've been, you know, beating a dead horse as far as, you know, the kind of teams that St. Louis plays that we have that St. Louis has trouble with this team. I, it, it's not that surprising that they struggled in the first half against them because those things like, you know, switching the field of play, defending compactly. Those are things that City struggle with. Um, and it sounds like we're going to see a lot more of that. Is that right, Matt? Yeah, so the way that the way that the Rapids are likely to come out is either in a 4-1 a 3-1-4-2 or 3-4-1-2 formation. They like to operate with three center backs, but if you know St. Louis City's uh, modus operandi with four center backs or four four-man backline, they do something similar to what Colorado does where we have a four-man backline, but we often have three that stay more defensively and one that pushes up. In the Rapids three center backs, their shape appears more like a 4-3-3 when when they go forward and so they'll have their left wing back that becomes a little bit more reserved and stays as a left back from their midfield and they'll leave a single defensive midfielder who just sits in front of them in front of their center backs and their right wing back is going to push up trying to get more into that right wing territory they play short they play slow they swing the ball around 
They spread the field really wide and they leave that single pivot in the center of the field. So if that player is not open to turn and progress the ball, they often skip some lines and try to get over the midfield to their center forward like Kevin Cabral. That's where you see a lot of those line breaking moves. And so against St. Louis, I, I remember seeing that quite a bit where they were playing the ball around, they were switching, they're moving the ball from their wing to wing, and then all of a sudden they would send the ball high where St. Louis would press to the point where we would leave our back line a little vulnerable and they would make those moves and Berkey would have to make a save. That's That to me is a more or less prototypical Colorado Rapids team. So a way to beat that though is press them and press them successfully. Uh, when they're pressed, they often, they start Danny Leva as their number six. They can have Connor Ronan move forward as their number eight, but if they're pressed, Ronan's gonna drop back a little bit to create kind of a double pivot going on. That's an interesting opportunity to throw them out of their formation as as they look to to try to counter us. And I don't think uh, I don't think the teams that they've played where they haven't had a press really will make much of a, a an impact to how St. Louis handles them. It's it's going to be really forcing Ronan back deeper in the middle of the field to take him out of the attacking range, and and put just a, a whole lot of pressure on on their midfield that way. Their preference is to play Ronan or Leva, have them progress the ball. And then oftentimes they're going to try to bypass our entire midfield. So ideally, if from a Rapids perspective, they take guys like uh, like Indiana Vasilev or Miggy Perez, Jared Stroud, and they just move the ball over top of them and they get the ball to Cabral and let him do his thing. Very interesting. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, oh, go ahead. I forgot Danny Leva. Is that what you were going to say? I forgot he got traded to them. That's really cool. He's getting so many minutes because I think he was losing out a little bit with uh, Obed Vargas uh, starting to take his spot over there in Seattle. It was, it's really cool. Yeah, I was just going to say that definitely the long ball is going to be key. And uh, I think we may have talked about that two months ago when we were previewing uh, this game that Colorado was strong with the long balls and at that time, um, like City um, had uh, allowed uh, some goals or some chance creation through long balls. Um, so still something to, to keep an eye on, uh, especially with the system City uh, plays, and that's what Colorado likes to do. And uh, the other thing, um, and um, Riley Carnell kind of talked about it a little bit today. Uh, yeah, they are last in the league. And Phil, you also talk about that, like parity. Like, mm -hmm. um, you can have, like, this is a league where any Saturday anybody can get a result. Uh, so when, when, when I asked him about if there was, like, more pressure just because they were on last place, he, he was like, well, like, that doesn't really mean much to us. Uh, a lot of times it could be a team that plays against you really well based on their style. So the fact that they are last on the table doesn't mean anything. So... This is one of those games that people may think, oh, it's easy, it's Colorado. Mm -hmm. They haven't won in their last eight, have a score only 14 goals, but it might as well be one of those trap games. Very well could be. And uh, like I said, they, they're a good match against us. Uh, we don't usually do this, but it kind of leads into the next one. Husker TDA on uh, Twitter just said that uh, it might be easier to press Colorado this time. They're, there's not altitude. There's not a problem. I know Bradley Carnell says that's not a, a, a thing, but um, that is something very interesting. And so um, just to kind of, before we move on with this, just to kind of plug ourselves. We're Flyover Footy. You're listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS. You can find our 
extended episodes and more episodes on our podcast feed, anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can join us live. We're streaming right now on, on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. And you can give uh, chat contributions and things like that. So we hope you do look into those options and check us out. If you can uh, leave us a review, uh, that would be even better. Uh, it helps us out. Uh, we'd appreciate you doing any one of those or all of them if you can. Uh, Matt, we've got a decent amount to cover here. Lots of information on Colorado if you'd like to pick the next space to uh, go forward with. Yeah, let's. I, I want to pick up on the, uh, the, the way that they create some chances too before moving on to how they play defense which is really of uh, interest to city fans so michael barrios is going to be another one to keep an eye on uh, on the wings the way that he loves to attack the end line and looking to cross the ball in that that is going to create some of those wing battles where you have it, it will be important to see who plays our fullbacks and whether you have nerwinski and hebert again out there mm -hmm. and how they're able to defend against the cross deep i know We've been weak when Johnny Nelson has been out there at times, and Julian Gressel comes to mind, those 1v1s out there, where he was able to just create space and get behind. Well, if, if Barrios is able to do something similar to that, um, that, that could be just something interesting to keep an eye on from what the Rapids can offer. Um, I would say, though, that the thing that we saw from the Rapids defensively is still what we're going to see again from the Rapids this time. There's a reason that they have so many clean sheets. The, their offense is stagnant, but they play that medium to low block defense. Their line of confrontation that we're going to have is typically around midfield or just beyond. So they're occasionally going to push forward and they may, they may indicate a press, but it's really not going to be there. And so the ability for St. Louis to beat that, that kind of a, uh, an in your face approach, it shouldn't be too big of a deal for them. Once they're in their defensive set for the Rapids, they play the ball in front of them. They rely on their defensive shape and they limit those passing lanes. So they stay tight, they stay compact and they stay deep. They're going to allow maybe a, a checking player to receive the ball when they, when the, when the players turn and they may get a look enough to get a pressure on the player to cut off a passing lane. St. Louis is going to have to create space. That's, that's going to be one of the names of the game. And I have that as my key to the game later on, but if we can't create space, it's, going to be more of the same that we ran into the first go round the idea of stretching the lines not just long but wide is going to be very interesting to watch for because a sam and Deneron, the way that he can create space wide left the reason i called uh, uh, attention to it earlier on is because i want to see that against the rapids i think that will provide a really interesting look if you can draw sam and Deneron out wide left with the ball have jared stroud underlap him inside to the box have him create chances to Indy Vasilev, Rasmus Alm, whoever is in there, Nico Joachini even. That could be really interesting to see how that low block is broken down when you have some really creative players who can create space wide in the attacking third. So many options, and, and Sam Adinaran's one of those uh, that they took really uh, they took advantage of that early in the season where they threw him out on the left wing. I thought he was going to be a second striker often, and almost every time he came in as a sub, on the left wing and he's a big guy looks like a striker but he operates perfectly well on the wing as you were you were saying there matt that wasn't there a cross later in the game that was just yeah. like a perfect cross that stroud wasn't able to quite get there for um good stuff on the wing so um appreciate those thoughts there matt. well on, on that too i do want to drop a carnell quote because i think it's timely with yes. how the shape of colorado looks because i i asked bradley carnell thursday about the diamond midfield approach that they have because I found it so fascinating how 
whether it's because of injuries, whether it's because of health or availability, the shape of our midfield has evolved so, so well and so very interesting to me because it started out as a 4-2-3-1. Uh, it, it eventually morphed into, against Seattle, we had five ba- five-man back line. We've seen a 4-4-2. We've seen now a diamond midfield. And so you have you have that actual shape. And I remember seeing it for the first time the other day and just have that epiphany, like, oh my gosh, they're actually doing it because they didn't do it earlier in the season. And we always mm-hmm. thought, okay, this is how you can defend. This is how you effectively press. This is the style of, of, of a formation that we want to see that we saw like with Philadelphia Union, for instance. Hmm. So Bradley Carnell's quote to me was very interesting in using that diamond midfield. He said, usually a diamond is a way to suffer against big switches. Big switches like the Rapids love to employ. Right. The diamond has helped us. I told Lutz in our first three weeks of preseason with personnel we have, I've never tinkered with a diamond as a coach. Would I want to do that on match day one, be somebody totally who I'm not? We've built principles, and within those styles, you can forge relationships within a formational structure. He's liked what he's seen out of the diamond. I found that highly fascinating as Carnell, in, Carnell is a coach and just the, the honesty in what he employed earlier in the mm-hmm. year because that's what he was comfortable with and that's what he knew his players can be successful with. And you're seeing an, an evolution to that. You're seeing very advanced systems developing here for not just the players on the field, but Carnell as a coach in managing this. And Carnell mentioned that he liked what he saw with the back five against Seattle for that first 60. He just wants them to be creative, combative, and constructive against Colorado. He noted uh, 1v1 play out on the wings, on the sidelines, called out Nicholson and Barrios on the wings, guys who, who can really change the game and who the diamond can really help to help to manage when you have a Stroud or a Vasilev out of the wings. That's really cool. It's it's interesting. I hadn't considered because we had seen the diamond quite a bit b- before Carnell took over, but it was before, you know, that Bayer Leverkusen, once the kids came in in that game, it was a diamond. I remember that pretty easily. So, um, yeah, it, I, it's interesting to hear that he wasn't into it and he was willing to talk about it at first and, and how he's growing into it and, and even learning, it sounds like. That's really good stuff from, from Carnell. I enjoy his responses when he is able. Great question, actually, you know, because, yeah, yeah. we don't always get get like fun answers like that in in the presser so i'm glad you guys are there for that um i I really like when he provides that kind of insight and uh again he i also i also to me it also caught my attention that he also talked about the the five men backline because i'm sure we we will see that again at some point but uh that just showed the the flexibility he has been able to implement with the team. We have seen it with 18 different lineups in 19 matches. Uh, basically, whether it is due to injuries or due to the matchups, uh, the team is basically looking for for the lineup and the formation that will give it the most advantage against the opponent. Uh, other coaches, other teams, you, you don't see that. You always see uh, same lineup, usually the same uh, starters. But uh, I really like that the team uh, approaches every match. Uh, as a basically game one and um, that's what they focus in and they they look for the best lineup at the base formation so i really like that i agree i agree we are flyover footy and you're listening to us on the big 550 ktrs thanks so much for joining us today i hope you feel like you're well prepared for this match against colorado which will be coming up in the next 30 minutes or so uh let's talk we have a decent amount of time and i'm glad because on this one especially I really want to talk about the lineup. Like, 
the options are so plentiful in this case. I don't think we're going to get more of the same here, Santiago. Yeah. I so think what are your I know thoughts? one of Matt's starters. I'm just going to say that. I, <laughs> think, I think it's Sam Adenir. We, we have we have show notes that we we work off of, and literally, I'm I don't, we have this this document. I, I just edited that. it at the moment. Phil mentioned that, so I feel like that's why he's bringing this up because I looked down at at what I wanted to lead into. And it wasn't what I wanted to lead into. I've changed my mind in the past few hours in what I want to see. <laughs> well, let's go with yours, Matt. You always have the most thorough lineup. So you can give your thorough one, and then we'll just make our, our changes as we go along here. I'm going to use this as a chance to mention some of my keys to the game as well because the players that I chose speak to that. So my keys to the game were to stay organized as a back line to prevent those line-breaking chances through the center back fullback space. So you need strong defensive fullbacks. To exploit their left wide behind their fullback and wingback, let Sam feast hmm. and be clinical in your counterattacks. You have to press smart, be quick with your counters, because with a low block, that's what you're going to need to do. If you can let them possess, let them possess, but Colorado possesses less than 50% in themselves, so you're going to have to work for it. As a result, my lineup has Roman Berkey, obviously, Kyle Hebert, Tim Parker, Lucas Bartlett, and Jake Nerwinski, your back line. No real surprise there. Diamond midfield, going back to it. Jabulu Blom as the pivot. Rasmus Alm on the right side. Jared Stroud on the left side. Indiana Vasilev as the attacking midfielder. And then our top two is Nico Giochini mm. and Sam Adeneron. I love this because it provides the it, it provides what Carnell mentioned today in in the opportunity to have Sam and Nico play together. And so I'll drop this quote as well because I asked him about sam and, and his path forward and how he sees him playing off of nico the fan base this should be very familiar to everybody carnell said that we saw sam out wide setting up miggy almost playing like a winger like we just talked about carnell said he can play he can play on the left hand the, lo the lone striker nico can go back to floating underneath as he worked with klaus uh successful in a triple two with nico and klaus next to each other sam can play that role as well not two of the same type of strikers but two different weapons we look to utilize them wisely I think they utilize them wisely together from the start against Colorado. I think it would be dynamic. It would be an eye-opening experience to what Nico Joachini can do again in this role, a likely more familiar role for him. And it also keeps Rasmus Alm on the field as an attacking option because that was where I kind of got into the question of yeah. if you're going to have Joachini and, and Sam and you're going to have a 4-4-2 or even if you're going to drop it into a 4-2-3-1, what do you do with Rasmus Alm? And I, I still like Rasmus Alm's capability to track back and play defensively. He's shown a propensity to be able to track back on the wing and play a little deeper if he needs to. I like him in that midfield role and what he would be able to provide our attack on top of having Joachini, Vasilev, and Sam. It's it's probably the most exciting offensive lineup I could think of without Klaus and Lubin. That's really interesting. I'm glad you touched on Alm uh, because putting him in there, I don't know if we've seen him in that position. I'm sure he can handle it. Um, but I don't know. What do you think, Santiago? Before I give in, any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my lineup, even though Matt almost twist my arm. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> let me persuade you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm gonna stick with this. Uh, so Berkey, Kiever, Barlett, Parker, Nerwinski. Then I have uh, Blom and Akil Watts, just because I think Miggy is not going to play. And then uh, I have um, AC Jackson, Indiana Basilev, Sam Adeniran, and then Nico Giacchini. 
Is that a 4-2-2-2? Two, two, two? Four, two, four, two, three, one. Oh, four, two, three, one. Okay. Yeah. So you, Joe Akini with no Adeneron. Yeah. Yeah. On, on the left wing. So that's where I'm having a little bit of trouble because, you know, I think I think Alm is better when he can stretch the field. And I think he's not going to be able to do that as an eight or even mm -hmm. as um, an attacking midfielder. Um, so that's a little bit strange for me. And that's why I was leaning more 4-2-3-1 as you yeah. did, Santiago. But then you can't play Joe Akini and Sam. And I'm actually, I think, I'm, I'm, as I think about this, I think I will rest Joe Akini one more time. And I'd like to see, um, just because he did have such a heavy stretch, and on top of that, Sam had a, such a good game. Um, he was productive, at least. Um, and so I think I would throw out Sam one more time at home against a team that you could use a, a big guy out there and then change at some point. If things aren't working, you can change to that 4-4-2 diamond. And so I think I'm going to sacrifice Joe Akini so that I can have um, Stroud, Alm, Indy at the eight or this, you know, the double pivot with, mm -hmm. with Blom and um, it'll be Sam up top. Now, my other questions are, um, do we play AZ also? Because he had, it wasn't a productive game for him, but I would say he might have had a better game than Sam, even as far as performance and chance creation and just running down the ball over and over and over again and causing trouble. So do we play AZ Jackson in there? I thought... Akil Watts, I thought he did a good job at right back. I don't know if you guys agree with oh, that. Okay. I, I, I very did. much agree. Very much agree. I wanted to ask you, because I, I didn't watch as thoroughly as I usually do, but normally I worry about Akil Watts in, in certain instances, and I thought he performed well, and I think I'd like to see him out there again at some point as a sub at the worst. So I don't... I don't know how you guys feel about those those choices. We can talk more if we, we have time. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't have Akil Watts in my starting lineup, but I I definitely appreciated him at right back and I thought that was an exciting thing. That was one of the things that I saw that gives me a little pause in uh, the transfer window discussion because one of the conversations is do we need depth in certain positions, left back, mm -hmm. right back. And mm -hmm. Akil Watts, we know that Hackworth projected him last year in interviews as a MLS right back when he had been playing defensive midfield for City 2. Yeah. So to see this come to fruition and and grow and, and develop into that. And you want to see this progression throughout the season where Watts has had all this time to practice with the team and growing himself in an MLS environment and taking this role that he's been projected to and succeeding. Because the I, th I thought our back line did, did fantastic against... San Jose, they the only goal was that high turnover, and you know we know how that. What was the reason behind that? But Akil Watts in particular, and Az Jackson was another one that I had in my starting lineup, but I took out. I had Az at the ten. I would be happy to have Az at the ten. I'd be happy to have one of Joaquini and Sam at the attacking position, and mm -hmm. Rasmus Alm at the other one. I don't think you can take Rasmus Alm off the field when he's healthy. Yeah. Rasmus Alm is, I, I mentioned it on Fallout, him and Jabulu Blom have become, put him in pen if they're healthy. I, the stat that, that I had last week was, I love it. It's We're 9-3-2 and two when Rasmus Alm plays, and we're 5-1-1 one, and one when Jabulu Blom starts. These guys are difference wow. makers out there, and it's not just their individual efforts. It's collaborative, what they facilitate for other teammates and the opportunities on the defensive and attacking end. Those guys have to be in just like you have to keep guys like Tim Parker, Kyle Hebert in the game. These these are the players that matter. 
Good stuff, guys. That was that was really fun. I'm glad we got to dig in on that. One last thing we'll do, and then we'll get out of here. Let's do our predictions. What do you guys think, Santiago? What's the score? Uh, I have 2-0. Two two, okay, okay. Matt? I'm back to my optimistic ways. I got 4-0. <laughs> Oh, wow. I'm dropping the bomb like Phil's been doing the past couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, incorrectly at that, but um, I just, I knew, I saw that score line. I thought I'm going to make Matt say it online, on air. I knew, I knew you would. Hey, I've, I've been talking up our potential attack this entire show. True. So if I can't back up there my scoreline with all that hype. I like that. Love it. I'm going to say 1-0. I do think the, the defense is going to give us challenges, but I do think uh, City will come out on top. So those are our predictions. We're Flyover Footy, and you're listening to us on the big 550 KTRS. Hope you guys enjoyed. Enjoy the game in about 30 minutes. We're all going to see you there if we can. Bye, everybody. Welcome, everyone, to The Wind Down. It's officially begun. It's going to be a, a special one. I've been really excited about this. Uh, we had Lutz come on to the uh, the presser today. I don't know if that was a surprise or not, but... No, no they, they, announced it on, they announced it on Monday. Oh, okay. To, uh, to media that he was coming. And then they, they did a special, like, re-announcement Thursday morning just to, like, reiterate, hey, guys... Don't forget, he's going to be here. This, this is the chance to get your questions in. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's How long has it been since we've talked about, like, transfer rumors and things? And so this, this wind-down is going to be pretty much all transfer stuff. I guess Lutz gave us plenty to work with here. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, he, he gave us stuff to work with. He didn't give us names. No deets. He didn't deets. give us... <laughs> I know. I mean, he didn't give us specifics, but at the same time, he had this like prepared statement where he was on the he was on the podium, and when he was finishing his prepared statement, he said, "And I'll take questions in a minute, but I think I've gotten to ninety percent of what you all are going to ask, so I don't know." As as if like he his list took care of every single thing, <laughs> but right. it, you know, it's one of those things. Did, did that make you think more about what you were going to ask? My- it did, I mean, honestly, like it made me when I re-listened to it this evening, um, I I took it more of the whole point of him doing that. And when he started out, he started out by saying he wants to address the misconception about what a transfer window mm-hmm. could or should look like. And I I found that was very interesting. And the more that I was listening to him, the more that I re-listened to it, I think the overall like reason for what he was doing is that he seemed like he wanted to level set everything from expectations, from speculation and comparisons to European leagues, to established MLS teams, to to teams that have different levels of roster flexibility. It just seemed like he wanted to get out in front of everything. And whether that bodes well or not for the transfer window is very much debatable. But Hmm. to me, the, the driving force behind what he was doing because he came out with, um, he came out with a f- like five different. I, I'm pretty sure on his list it was five bullet points because he, he numbered them off of things that are are playing into his thought process in the transfer window, and he had these pre-prepared, 
uh, Carolyn Kendall was in the room there with him hmm. as, as if to provide support, even though she didn't speak, she was sitting off to the side. He kept looking over and he kept kind of um, referencing ownership and being on the same page. So I think they wanted to provide a unified front in this discussion, this conversation, but with no specifics being said, no information on Firmino, though we kind of now know a little bit more, no information on any of the specific player options. It was more like high level. Here's what's all going into this. I need to level set everything for you guys because I'm hearing it wrong. And so I'm hearing it wrong. What do you think that was? Let's go to the details of what he was saying and, and what, what he was trying to set yeah. the record straight on. So I've got the five the five things down. The first one is timing. And so he was very, very specific that the window is July 5th through August 2nd. And that's the window. And then if we act, when when we act, if we act, it will be during this time. Hmm. And so he, he addressed, we're not in a situation or a need to do a deal far ahead of time or announce like other teams have. <laughs> and, and he put Messi aside, put Sergio Busquets aside. Like we're talking other MLS teams that are not just blowing up the entire landscape teams that have announced players ahead of time, like FC Cincinnati. We, he very specifically said right off the bat timing. We don't need to do that. We're not in that scenario. Uh, there is an MLS break coming up on seven 15. He talked about the timing of getting players registered their ITC. If they're coming in from international, a lot of, a lot of things go into getting a player ready. It's not just them hopping off the plane on seven, five after you've announced them ahead of time and they can just slot right into a game. Hmm. Lute said, if we do something, we'll do it when the time is right. Shots fired a little bit there, it felt like. I mean, all of this kind of sounds like shots fired, not just to, I mean, like... To an ahead. extent, to an extent, but yeah, I can run through the rest of them if you want real quick, and then yeah, we can kind of recap take them. them. Yeah. yeah. All right, so the first one was timing. The second one is, and this one's near and dear to my heart, roster size is a limit. Lutz talked in, in detail about there are rules that they have to follow, it's not like you're coming from Europe. You don't have uh, 35 players, and if somebody goes down, you can just fill a hole by signing another player as soon as the transfer window opens. No, there is a 30-player limit on a squad. You can't go shopping whenever you feel like it. Luce is very clear about that. The third one were budgets, and and I think this is why Carolyn joined him, was to be unified in their front and to be kind of supportive of each other in this. Lutz said very clearly they don't have an open checkbook. But he'd said that to the point where it's not like he, he wasn't trying to parlay it into ownership being stingy or a, a refusal to spend. He said very specifically, we don't want to waste any money. Hmm. There are That's certain good. roster slots that exist. There are certain DPs signed, certain TAM players that are signed. The budget's not wide open. You have to follow the rules like all the other teams. We're not going to waste to reach the exact limits of everything that we have available, meaning the salary cap, meaning spending every last ounce of GAM you have, meaning filling all 30 slots just because you have 30 slots to, to fill. And then he said, it's match day 19. We're number one in the conference. He had said discussions about transfers we could or might do aren't really fair because of the scenario we're in. It's the right timing, the right spend. You have to be extremely aggressive on the transfer market. And so the, the roster size, the budgets, those are the two big things that I think are that other MLS teams have to have to deal with. But the scenario that St. Louis is in also being an expansion team cannot go overlooked in this was our initial roster build. And so there's an approach to how you manage that long term that is different from an FC Cincinnati who's been in the league for four years. It's different from yeah. an L.A. Galaxy, a Sporting Kansas City, every team like that. The other two 
were more related to plugging holes, filling, filling issues that have arised. So number four were it injuries. He said, you can't have 17 players on extremely high budgets teams in MLS. And I like this. He said, teams in MLS have valleys when their top players are out. That happens. Flexibility to react is limited with the roster size. It's not the European market. Like I said, where you can just go make a panic signing. And Lutz said specifically, I'm not a big panic guy. The points he made to the injuries were that Klaus and Leuven will be back pretty soon. Direct quote. Will it be the right thing for the club to sign other Leuvens and other Klauses? Right. No, it's about patience, trust in the next man up. And as an aside, that next man up, we've seen work multiple times already so far through 19 match days. He spoke about finding a way without Klaus and now finding a way without Leuven, calling Leuven the captain of the engine room, speaking to the importance of those two players that were without. And he also repeated the designated team moniker and said ownership supports him in that designated team. Mm -hmm. We do not have to sign artificially a big name to make us a better team. That's a direct quote. He said football is a team sport. We have to sign a big guy, and that's something the future will tell. He reiterated multiple times the limited budgets and the rules that all teams in MLS have to play by. We know that there are three designated player slots available to all MLS teams. We know that there's a an amount of TAM and GAM that can go above the $5.2 million salary cap, but those spots are limited. We have two DPs on our roster. There are rumors even that we have Berkey classified as a DP, which would make sense for the salary cap and the roster flexibility right now. Having not signed a true third mm -hmm. DP, it makes more sense from a budgetary perspective to list Berkey as a DP than absorb and have to pay out all that TAM. Yep. It just, it's, mm -hmm. it's facts of the matter. And but so with all of that, with all that having happened, these slots are not available to fill the caliber of players who have been hurt with replacement level players. So about Berkey maybe being at EP, isn't that something we will know by now? It keeps being, I keep hearing it from MLS analysts. Like I've heard Bogert mention it. I've heard it discussed on extra time. I don't know the transparency aspect to it. I don't know if you have mm -hmm. to, if, if it has to be listed on MLSsoccer.com. But what I do know is that there, there's a penalty for having a third DP slot filled with a player over the right. age of 23. But that penalty is only $150,000. Hmm. Take that compared to what Berkey's making, $1.65 million. And you can, either, you can either pay $1 million of your TAM to make Berkey fit in your roster, or you can just slot him in as that third DP, pay $150,000, and call it a day. Like if you're not going to sign, if you're legitimately not going to sign a third DP and you've res basically resigned yourself to that and, and set that kind of uh, boundary or guardrail around your roster building, that makes sense. It doesn't. It doesn't. Actually, I would say that Tam and Gam is like fake money, though, whereas that penalty might be $150,000 cash, which I think is, is different for an owner. It is, but it allows us to sign players like Joachim Nilsson. And like Thomas right. Ostrock, who are TAM level players. So if you're wanting that caliber of a player who doesn't fit in a U22 initiative slot and you need that extra TAM, because TAM is very specific in its use. You can only use TAM for certain things like buying down a player who makes more than the max salary, mm -hmm. but less than a, a, a DP. So there you can you can fill it with higher caliber players and that's where it becomes more valuable i guess my point is exactly that that if we don't need the tam or gam and i'm not sure we do right now it sounds like i think they may choose either or and i think that's what we've said all along is that we don't know what mls sees we don't know like when you have to like 
I guess we kind of know when you have to declare who's in what slot, or is it? It we seems like to, you can just Charlotte move. blew up the system. Exactly. I guess it <laughs> feels Charlotte like you can blew. move them around however you want, as long as like whenever they draw the cutoff line, it works. <laughs> Which is, I think, where yeah, Miami I, got in I, trouble like months or years after the fact. You know. Yes. So there's a roster lock date where you have to have your roster locked, and yeah. you have to be in compliance to certain things. But there's still so much unknown and so much uh, closed yeah. book that as far as when you can move around some of these buckets of money and how you ha- when you have to say, OK, we're committing a million dollars of TAM to Roman Berkey mm-hmm. or we're committing Roman Berkey as our third DP for budgetary purposes. Like there's nobody truly knows how that exact process works besides MLS front office. I just get so, that vibe of roster flexibility and it's like their option. They could do both, you know, and just depends on what they want at any given moment. <laughs> yeah. So on that roster log date, uh, Basically, the league and the teams know who are the designated players and all the designations, but that's never made public, I guess. They, uh, they'd get themselves they, the in website, trouble if they were public. The website posts it. The website posts it, but we've seen how unreliable the website yeah. can be in certain yeah, areas. Yeah, I, I, have, I have asked uh, at the end you know, of the season, after the roster log date, there was some information in there, and mm-hmm. I, I reached out to the team, and they're now that the website is yeah. known to be wrong a lot of times so. <laughs> so can't take that but with a grain of salt and beyond that it is what the club is willing to answer from the questions that we get to ask mm-hmm. it's good stuff any other go ahead the, Matt. The, yeah the fifth one was just the oh. reiterating that they're not looking for a quick fix and he said he said he had this down as his fifth one even though he alluded to it earlier he's not making a panic signing um, I'm not looking for a quick fix. We need a long fix, strategically a player who helps in one, two, three years and not in days. So that that puts the squash on replacement type players for Klaus and Leuven, even though there are injury level replacements that could occur if you put Klaus and Leuven on an injured list. You can basically replace them like for like if you wanted to, but it doesn't sound like that's in the cards at all. And they're looking, truly looking to this league's break, league's cup break as an ability to almost reset their roster, get back all of their guys healthy. And in best case scenario, you end up with Klaus, Leuven, and Nilsson all healthy, ready to go on the other side of the of the break. And you're in a position where it does sound like it is a little cliche, but you do have reinforcements in that scenario. Yeah, he talked about Nilsson like a reinforcement just because he, he hasn't played the whole year. Um, and to be to be truthful, uh, basically he is. Um, he has mm-hmm. been out the whole year. He didn't even play with CD two, so um, it's kind of oh yeah, this guy is here. He's healthy. <laughs> yeah, from a fan perspective, it's almost like we've been playing without him this time, and we've we've always had him, so it's a loss. But how much of a loss can we even really consider it, given the fact that you're right, Santi, we haven't ever had him. He's been yeah. a name on the roster, but. He has never been he's he's never suited up on the field. So I think that was my favorite uh, point was that last one, the first and last kind of the way he said it, um, the not panic signing, because I like the we need a long fix strategically, a player that helps in one, two, three years and not days. And I think I, I read a quote, maybe it was the same one, but it just kind of almost made me think about the players we have that aren't there yet. You know, I think I've had high hopes for Ostrock, 
And I think we can all agree, he. I don't think he's hit his ceiling anywhere near it, I hope. Um, and so, you know, I think about that. I think about AZ, where he, how far he's come in half a season and maybe where he could be in, in two or three seasons. And just all the, you know, like Miggy, you know, like what can these guys become? This is not something that comes and goes like it does in our thoughts. You know, someone has a good play. We think, oh, what's this guy going to be? No, Lutz, it sounds like, is constantly thinking about the future more than the present, um, which is his job. You know, the coach's job maybe more to to make sure they win every game. But, you know, I loved that. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Sati. Yeah, and he, he talked about um, developing homegrown players, uh, being a club that develops young talent. And he made a comment, like, every time you sign, like, a big player from overseas, uh, you're basically blocking a player like... Uh, Miguel Perez or Caden Glover, because mm. um, it's one less homegrown that you can add to the roster or at least look at adding them down the road. So uh, that was very interesting to me. I agree. Asante, I, I liked how you asked about the U22. That was one of my favorite questions that, that were asked. And Santi asked if, uh, if Lutz is looking at those U22 signings, which we have none of. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, to reiterate, MLS roster rules say that uh, it's in an effort to sign and develop younger talents and bring them into MLS and then sell them off. But teams are allowed a, a signing up to three signings, depending on how many designated players you have of players who are under the age of 22. And what that does is let's say you want to pay them $700,000, which is uh, above the max salary. It's a, it's, it's way higher than you would normally be able to pay. Well, they only hit the budget, the salary budget charge of one hundred fifty thousand. Hmm. So you get you get a discount as far as what you have to report to MLS of fitting in your salary cap structure for the U twenty two players. That's why they're so they're they're almost as important as a designated player, at least in the same mindset to where yeah. you're able to you're able to pay uh, a player what his worth is, but you're only reporting it to MLS at a certain level, and it's hitting your books so much lower, making it so much more cost-effective to sign those. Lutz said that he's always considering it. He said, we have a young squad, so always looking at getting young talent. If it's in this window, the next, or the third, it'll happen. And he touted the league rewards this approach, and that they always have it in mind. So we as fans are seeing no U22 signings, but that reinforced that it is on their radar, as it should be. And it's something they take into consideration when they're scouting. It just hasn't come to fruition yet. And, you know, on a related note, some barely related, but I wanted to give you a chance to talk about this, Santiago. Um, RSL filled up all their DP and U22 slots, which is awesome. I think that's something we all kind of wanted, which I think will lead us to another point. Uh, but lots of Colombians on that team as a related note. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm looking forward to uh, Portland Timbers against uh, Real Salt Lake. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> Co- Colombia 1 against Colombia 2. Yeah, exactly. Like, like uh, So Portland, I'm still trying to figure out a name for Real Salt Lake, but uh, Portland is uh, Colombia. <laughs> and Real Salt Lake would be uh, Real Colombia. Okay. I like it. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's I obviously to me like it hits uh, like home like uh, I'm biased, but I would love to see a, a Colombian or even a South American, and and that will happen at some point. But mm-hmm. but yeah, when I see teams like uh, RSL like just filling the roster spots uh, with Colombians and quality players like Chicho Arango, and they announced uh, Palacios today, uh, who has been having a 
great season with Atletico Nacional. Um, good signings, and mm -hmm. I think RSL is going to be dangerous this second half of the season. Yes, they are. Thank goodness. We're done with them, at least unless they make the playoffs and we have to play them. Uh, but Jennifer, um, Jennifer B. on, let's see, YouTube said, I feel like Lutz was telling everyone to calm down, and I, I totally agree. And it's our first season, and so it, it, I don't think we can be blamed for thinking, like, where's our U22 player? Where's our third DP? Because that's what, in this league in the past, that's what winning teams typically do, not every time. Um, and so I don't think we can be blamed for that, but I think this is Lutz coming out and uh, telling us, setting the standard, like, we're it, and we're used to that, too, because... He's like designated team. We're different. We don't, you know, next man up mentality. St. Louis is all of these things and we're having to like mold around it and it's easy because it's working. Right. And I think this is just another peel of the onion layer of the onion there that, that this is just what it's going to be like to be a St. Louis city fan over the years. And I like and, it. And especially with remembering a lot of the things Lutz had said on how he built this team in the first place. And some of the quotes that he said were, if if we sign a guy who's a great player but doesn't fit into our ways, it's a terrible decision and mm. one I'd have to take responsibility for. I really liked that was a very introspective quote. Yeah, his. And he goes on to say, we don't necessarily look for the best footballer. We look for the guy who fits our philosophy, fits our system. And I I liked how he brought this back because this reminded me a lot of talking to some of the international players and especially if you listen to the City Voice episodes of Klaus and Leuven. And I believe I've heard this from Tomas Ostrak, but Lutz said that there, the amount of work behind the scenes to talk to the family and figure out the player and if he fits is is a lot. Mm -hmm. He said, that's our secret sauce. The guys who come here love to be here in our values, the character, level of play, personality on and off the field. So if you're thinking about who they're who they're bringing in or wanting to bring in from a transfer window perspective outside of the organization, take into consideration those intangible aspects. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about there, if there's familiarity from the past, that's great. He probably knows and can skip a few of those steps. But if there's not familiarity, if they're scouting a guy based on talent and what they see on the field, think about all that homework that they put into making sure that a guy is not going to come in here and blow up the system and be a locker room cancer and make sure that they fit the system on and off the field with their personality as well. The amount of due diligence that it sounds like goes into a player wearing our crest is admirable to me and it speaks to the stewardship that Lutz knows he has for this club and the city and how much passion he has to make sure that he's building something that will last both for the club the city and the individual players okay he even mentioned talking to the german shepherd he did <laughs> that was funny <laughs> Which like everybody in the family, including the dog. Oh, got dog. it. Thank you. <laughs> I missed yep. that. That's yeah. Cool. He goes. He, he went all the way to the dog. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the dog might know character more than the others. It's like they can sniff it out. Um, I think the, another part of the panic too is we're all guilty of it too. You know, I'd say one of the biggest questions we get from from fans to talk about, or listeners, not fans. Sorry, listeners to talk about is that. Um, like, who would you sign if we could sign someone right now? Uh, and what depth would you add? That kind of thing. And it's always, the answer is always like either who had a bad game recently or who's injured, right? And so, like, you know, the second Klaus went down, it's like we get lots of comments like, you know, how come we don't have another nine ready to go? Or Leuven's down. And I haven't seen this actually, which I actually rec I 
respect the hell out of uh, St. Louis for this. I haven't seen a whole bunch of let's get another midfielder, a world-class midfielder when, when Leuven went down. Um, so that's pretty awesome. But, you know, again, I loved hearing him say that this there's no panic sightings. We're not just going to replace someone willy-nilly because we have room. And so uh, I thought that was really cool. It's, it's a good me- lesson for all of us, myself included. Yeah, I, I asked Lutz about some of those uh, player progressions throughout the year. I asked him if the way some of the players have progressed and played this year has changed anything about his mindset from the beginning of the season and how he viewed the summer transfer window versus now and what he's looking for. And I also tried to sneak in a question about if he has a plan for loaning or selling any current city player Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. And his answer on the progress and whether it's changed or impacted is, is, no. Um, he said he, he wouldn't mm. really say or can't really say that we're real disappointed in anybody, even those who haven't played many minutes. Uh, there was some moving around of the words going on here, but saying even the guys who haven't played, they're pushing each other. They're pushing other the players who are playing. Some of the players exceeded expectations. Yeah. And when we had those valleys and those injuries, some not well-known players or some not star players, they got us back on track. And that's the most important thing. And so... I I took this two ways. I took it as you're not going to throw anybody under the bus for any reason. You're not going to disparage a player. You're not going to say Pedro has been disappointing or we haven't quite got him to the level we need him to be, because that's obviously where I was trying to lead the question. I also see it as touting and pivoting to a positive, which they Lutz and Carnell do well, pivoting to Mm -hmm. highlighting guys like Kyle Hebert, Lucas Bartlett, even Indiana Vasilev, Miguel Perez, guys who, you didn't know for sure they were going to be starters or you had no intention of them being starters at the beginning of the season. Then they've stepped up in really, really big ways. Mm-hmm. Even, uh, even AZL Jackson, you know, those kinds of guys, Akil Watts, the, especially coming off San Jose, it's easy to highlight that level. But I had the thought of, I wonder if this entire concept of you have Klaus going down, you take a couple games, you figure it out, you go on a three game win streak you have Leuven go down, you take a couple games, you figure it out, you win, you see what happens after this. Does this give Lutz more pause in what he needs to be looking for? Mm. Does it help buy him time in a way to, to stick to his own principles in signing a player? To say that I, I have all these things I look for, I don't need to cut corners. I have a system built here, I have coaches, I have players who are who are proving the next man up philosophy. And if you can have a Keel Watts step in at right back, if you can have Miggy Perez step into the defensive midfield, if you can have AZ Jackson step in at the number 10 and win games, then you can actually be very intentional with filling this last roster spot that you have. Hmm. And that's where, that's where uh, if you want to take it somewhere else right now, we can fill, but I do want to talk about the roster makeup itself before we go. I just want to say one thing about that is, you know, we mentioned that Danny Leva thing is I'm curious because it, your question could have been purely positive too, where our guys are so good and we have so much depth that we need to get them somewhere else and cash in because they're so yeah. good. They need more minutes and they deserve more minutes and we can cash in they like a circular sort of thing there. So like I could see that happening, but you know, how cool is it that it's a really good test because I had that thought this week and I was like, who would, who's not getting minutes? It's not many players. And they, for real, like, they mean it when they say the next man up is a thing. The injuries have given guys minutes. The rotation has given guys minutes. I don't think, I don't know how many guys are, are, are un, unhappy with their minutes. Probably, it's funny you mentioned P- 
Pedro as Jonathan Himmelberg asked if Pedro makes it through uh, his contract entirely. I thought that was pretty ironic. Well, so Pete, let's let's take a look at Pedro real quick because he's obviously in a lot of the fans' um, crosshairs here because of his lack of playing time and the initial pomp and circumstance about his signing. Um, Selmer Pedro's contract goes through the end of 2025. And from all reports, including the MLSPA's salary guide, Pedro's guaranteed a salary of just under 375000 and he had a reported $300,000 transfer fee. Hmm. So that that all gets averaged out for his salary hit. So he's not approaching any level of like a TAM type of a player, but that's a significant amount for a player who is third on your death chart of left back at this point. So my second question to Lutz was, are you looking to loan anybody out or sell anybody at this transfer window? And it, I love I love what you said, Phil, because my question, even when you ask a question, it can be taken different ways. Yeah. And I intended it to be, are you looking to loan or sell a guy like Pedro to get him minutes and then bring him back type of a thing? Mm. But I could easily see it being an AZ Jackson or somebody else who has really overperformed and looking to get value for that type of a player. He definitely didn't answer the question in the slightest. No. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was a case of like every single every single person in that room got one question, it seemed, because it was a, a larger than normal crowd. And uh, unfortunately, I tried to compact two questions and it didn't work out well. <laughs> But I, I wouldn't say that to me, but I'm still curious on it. And, you know, I'm glad Tom Timmerman asked me after he said after that he wanted to follow up if given the chance on that piece, mm. but he hasn't yet. So maybe he'll figure out a way to slide that into a column. I'm interested to know that aspect because we're all so focused on who might we bring in and yeah. who might what gaps might we fill, what depth, what what potential starters. I'm also just as curious about who might leave our team. Yeah. And that that also play. Well, I mean, they both play off of each other because. The other piece of MLS roster rules are if you loan a player out, you can fill that player's roster slot, even though you don't get salary relief. You're still paying the player what they are owed, mm -hmm. so we'd still be paying Pedro's salary. We're still paying Max Schneider's salary. We were paying Sam Adeneron's salary. But right. when they're on loan, they open up a roster slot to fill. Yep. Good stuff. Before we move on, uh, Santiago, we lost you. Any thoughts on kind of the stuff we were touching on there? Yeah, um, I'm back. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I, my camera is not working. No but Matt, I don't know if you noticed at the end that uh, the conference was over and Tom asked um, Lutz if um, Max Snyder had I a green card. Yep, you I heard, heard that. that. He said, no, not yet. So I guess that's uh, an indication that we don't have any green cards yet because to me, mm. the the two that will should be closest should be uh, Max Snyder and uh, Roma Berkey because Berkey yep. came first. Hmm. Agreed. And the fact that Max was sent on loan, I can't remember where I heard it at this point, uh, but I know it was a it was either official source or it was from Tom Timmerman um, or, or somebody akin to that. Max Schneider, one of the benefits to sending him on loan, might even be from Lutz himself earlier in the season. One of the benefits of sending Max on loan, it is also opens up an international roster slot. Right. So just like he has a, a legit roster slot open, we now have an extra. So we have two total international slots available to fill as long as Max Schneider remains on loan. Hmm. And so and just, I, does that mean he is that guy that's on the, the longer term loan? Is that official at that point? Yeah, when, okay. when, they, is, yeah. when they announced him, that was the, oh, okay. the season long loan type of thing. Which the the odd thing to me is terminology that the club uses sometimes yeah. because they, when he when he was when he was brought back for that appearance um, on on the game day roster, 
they made it sound like it was the same exact short-term signing as Johnny Klein, but yeah. I, I guess it's semantics and you don't really want to get too in the weeds, but it was, it was a loan recall because he's on a season long loan as they announced oh. earlier. Oh, so well, it's different. Maybe, yeah. But maybe since he's on a season long loan, I guess that's the mechanism. Just sign him to that short. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it's all semantics truly because yeah. he, he didn't play. And so he still had, even if he's on a short term, uh, short term signing, they still can, he can make two appearances. He can make three more right. roster appearances and he went right back down. I, you know, while he's down there, he's on loan to city Two uh, officially as they announced. And so his roster slot is open. And I think that's where I want to look real quick. Yeah. Cause I want to make sure we get to this is that with the transfer window and everything that we just discussed, we're going to talk about uh, the one or two uh, known players in a moment, but I wanted to look at the St. Louis city roster itself and how many slots we actually have to play with here. It's not much. We have 29 of 30 players and roster slots filled right now. If you mm -hmm. recall everybody from loan, if you have a, a complete roster, 29 of our 30 slots are filled. The way the MLS roster works is they split it up into two buckets. You have 20 players on your senior roster, 20 or 10 players on your supplemental roster. So there's 20 players on your senior roster. They make certain minimum amounts, so you can't pay them under a certain amount. Um, and and they, they fill certain you know buckets of players that's your senior roster that you have and you can do certain things with them the 10 other players have different salary considerations they're paid less uh they they can be sent out on loan more regularly those kinds of things and i have if, if i'm counting our roster right now i have one slot on our senior roster left to fill we have two slots for homegrown players and, and in an mls roster you have to fill two with homegrowns otherwise you can't fill them the 29th and 30th slots that's Caden Glover and Miguel Perez our supplemental roster I have full of Kyle Hebert Josh Yarrow Michael Creek Lucas Bartlett Max Schneider Celio Pompeu Akil Watts and Ono Malley and that is all based on the salaries that were reported by the MLSPA because when you see what a player is making you can correlate that exactly to what a minimum roster salary is or a minimum roster on senior or supplemental then you can make really good educated guesses. So there's only a couple players that I'm not positive on. Hmm. Um, guys like AZL Jackson, Sam and uh, John Bell, guys who are making close to what can be considered a minimum on a supplemental. Or, and I just I don't think that you know, it matters that much. We have one, one pure open roster slot right now, no matter where you look at it. We have one open roster slot as long as Max Schneider remains on loan. And we just lost one when we recalled Sam. So we, we used his slot. So going into this transfer window right now, as it stands with, uh, with Klaus down with Leuven down, not on the injured list, we have two roster slots open. The only other caveat I'll give to that is a potentiality for Lucas Bartlett to be on the roster as an injury replacement for Joachim Nilsson. And the only reason that I'm not hundred percent sure on how that's working right now is because Go back and look at the initial announcement of Bartlett's contract. They announced him as having a one-year contract with two option years, but it was made in correlation. A corresponding roster move hmm. was to put Joachim Nilsson on the injured list. And when a player goes on the injured list, they can have that slot filled. Like I said, they can have the slot filled with a, a player taking their slot until they come back, and then you have to figure out what to do with that player. Hmm. So that's the only other possible gray area. But for all intents and purposes, the way the Lucas Bartlett's playing, 
I'm considering him as a full-fledged member of, of our squad, filling up a roster slot. And with that said, that's why I have two open slots, one legit, one Womack Schneider's on mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Glad you cleared so, that up. So, so Matt, if, if Barnett was really that injury replacement, mm-hmm. what will happen when Nilsson comes back? Either he will have to fill an actual slot or he will have to be loaned out. What, what would be the... Somebody the would have to be loaned out. Mm-hmm. You'd okay. have some. Well, as it is right now, uh, if if he came back, then we'd be fine. But if we signed another uh, w- another couple of players, that's where we'd start to get into the sicky situation of too many chairs, not enough people, or too many people, not enough chairs. Hmm. So he can just go on on an unavailable slot, but that just hinders how many. Yeah. And like I said, I, I have I have Bartlett slotted in right now on filling up a roster slot. I, I've already just because I, I like to play conservative with this and see, yeah. all right, what's what do we at the very most have to work with here? Yeah. And it's with Bartlett taking up a separate slot from Nielsen. It's uh, it's two roster slots. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you were to not think about what roster slot Bartlett's taking up and you just think about what is my best however many players and whoever's at the bottom of that list that you're willing to loan your answer is make that happen you know what i mean it's not it's not about like well pedro's a full rostered person he's making too much money to loan out well no if if he's not playing and he's the easiest loan then that's what you do when you keep the guy that's playing you know yeah one one other interesting thing that I like to look at because Lutz referred to the long term planning aspect of this is these are clearly puzzle pieces on or pieces on the chessboard, right? And so you're moving them around, you're seeing how they fit long term. So long term, you have to look at contract situations of our current players as well. Mm-hmm. And there are a host of players who are reported to be on one year contracts or have their contract end after 2023. The list of players who we've based on transfer marked have as their contract running up at the end of 2023 are Jared Stroud, Celio Pompeu. Interesting. John Nelson, Gil Watts, John Bell, Lucas Bartlett, Aziel Jackson, mm. Michael Creek, and Max Schneider. But some of them have options, right? Most, most all of them do have options, one or two year club options so they could always be brought back with their option but the point is that if you're looking at signing let's say we sign two players in the transfer window okay let's war games this we sign yeah. two players in the transfer window on multi-year contracts you're basically yeah. saying we have to keep max on loan for the rest of the year because somebody's filling his roster slot yeah and then you get to the end of the year one of these guys then has to be let go or or sent sent off or, or sold or something like that because then you have to free up a permanent roster slot for whoever you've signed in this transfer window. Interesting. Interesting. We are running short on time. Is there anything else we need to make sure we we touch on? Uh, do we? Oh, I do want to touch on the couple player rumors. So uh, Bobby Firmino was a player rumor, and as of Thursday evening, Fabrizio Romano, who is the just yeah. end all be all source <laughs> for transfer rumors. Anybody who knows, I mean, he's, he's the guy he reported Thursday that uh, Firmino had agreed to a contract with Al Hali in the Saudi league through June, 2026. So he joins Edward Mendy in raking in the dough wow. playing 
in Saudi Arabia. That I don't know. That'll be announced, I assume, here soon. But if Fabrizio Romano is reporting it, I'm going with it. And so St. Louis yeah. out of the Bobby Firmino for sweepstakes. I'm surprised he chose. Man, I don't get that. But hey, listen, no paid. one's offering me that money. So got paid. As, as, t- as yeah. Taylor Twelman said, he got paid. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The other player that had been rumored uh, a couple different sources is Conrado. Right. Left-footed Brazilian, left back, left mid, left winger, plays on the left side, left-footed. Hmm. He's currently under contract until 2024 with Lechia Dach. I'm not even going to pretend to announce the, <laughs> pol- uh, pronounce the Polish first division team's name. He just turned 26 in April. He's been with Dansk since 2020, since joining them on a free from Brazil. He played on a few Brazilian teams. And this has been reported by a couple different places that he also has interest from a couple other Polish sides in their first division, Rakow and Krakowia. Mm-hmm. What's interesting here is um, as as recently as last year, um, Conrado has been linked to the New York Red Bulls. And <laughs> the obvious correlations between systems are there, but there's some interesting things that uh, that Conrado had said when the Red Bulls were looking at them that were reported in some of their outlets like once a metro and uh conrado had a few things to say about playing two different positions because when he was playing as a left back his main focus was defending he played as a midfielder he wanted to score and when you're in that role you want to attack as well so speaks to his versatility as a left back a left mid left winger can play and fill a hole on that side and if you've if you've been on any kind of st louis city twitter or facebook fan page you know that that left back and that left mid side have been some questions that fans have raised. <laughs> this could fit and fill some of those uh, some of those needs potentially. The thing is, with his contract running until 2024, we would have to pay a transfer fee to get him. Now, whether this is the caliber of player that you open the checkbook to <laughs> make that transfer fee worthwhile, I don't know what his salary would be. You would assume it would be in the uh, in the, under the salary budget charge range, so he wouldn't have to be a gamer tam player. I don't know. Um, the the interest kind of fizzled out as he as he signed a, as he still was under contract in Poland. Um, this this is interesting to me. He he had said that when he went to Donsk in Poland, he was he described it as having more intensity and aggression than Brazil. And so he has that experience in that kind of a not just a kind of a league, but that kind of system where. It's intense. It's aggressive. You you work a two way both sides, and so you develop that ability to defend just like you can attack. Hmm. A lot of the things add up in what you you envision Lutz and Bradley Carnell looking for long term. And with the player just having turned twenty six, there's a lot of a lot of things to like here. Agree. And and to be honest, like it makes you wonder too about you know it, when when Nilsson comes back that three back system and just wanting more of a wing back type player rather than a defensive player. Yeah. It'd be interesting. Yeah. And that, that could offer stability out there because lately, uh, at least in the past few weeks um, and most of the season, really Jared Stroud has been a a pretty big option there on the left side. Hmm. You have Isak Jensen lurking and getting time with city Two, playing as a sub role on city. So he's still there developing. He's a, he is more of a left winger to me type player. He likes to play a lot higher than, a left mid and a diamond wood, for instance, or left mm-hmm. wing back. So very different types of player to me between Jensen and Conrado. I think the the addition of Conrado would probably 
if you're looking at any one position that I think needs shoring up, but it also needs work on uh, just overall roster makeup, it could be that left back, left wing back role. Because like you said, Phil, when you bring Joachim Nilsson, you still have Kyle Hebert, you have Tim Parker, and you have depth with Lucas Bartlett and Josh Yarrow. Hmm. So you, you're set there for a three center back if you can have those those wing backs to the quality that you want them to be. And I, I don't know that we have that right now with our roster. And I also don't know that right now, the way our roster is set up, I would be comfortable bringing in a left back to fill that last spot. I know. No other changes made. I agree. I agree. And, and again, is this like, are we just looking for someone to fill Pedro's spot? Because that sounds like a, quote, panic move, doesn't it? Rather right. than a long right. term. So, And the thing here is that, Let's get back to the fact that we're in first place in the West. Right. We've had our ebbs and flows, and we've survived the valleys that we've fallen into with these injuries, and we have a successful team. Mm-hmm. So level set expectations on what we really need to do here yeah. because the depth that we have has has shined, and we're getting ready to have this massive break or perceived break depending on how we do in the tournament. But you know, th- this uh, still uh, – my go-home thing is that our success has afforded Lutz the ability to stick to his principles – in what he's wanting to do with this roster and his overall plan. There's no even inkling and reason to panic or skirt some of those some of those steps that he would normally take in being very um, mindful in how he builds the rest of this roster. And I didn't get to see it say it in the uh, the radio portion, but you know, Nelson to Sam Adeneron is a thing. You know, if we do go to a three center back system, maybe yeah. Nelson has less defensive responsibilities and he becomes a starter. Mm-hmm. I could see it for sure. It, once he has someone to cross it into. Most yeah. of Nelson's success came with Klaus. Exactly. And Adeneron is the Klaus replacement. That's something that would be interesting to see. Yeah. So hey guys, I want to ask you a question mm. before we leave. In your opinion, do you think there is going to be any roster additions during this window? Yes. Yes? Matt? Matt? I agree. I think yes. It feels like we are being told not to panic, and I don't think it'll be flashy. You know, I think we want that U22 we always have, and I think it's not going to be that. I think it's going to be a, you know, a role player who's going to be, you know, a plus player, someone like Alm or Blom, let's hope, you know, or better. Uh, But it's going to be a long-term signing, and it's not going to be someone that's just going to walk in and score 10 goals for the rest of the season, you know? You you can't just go out and say it might be the level of Alm and Blom and not get hype and expectations from that. Right. Oh, did I go too high? I thought you were going to say I went too low. That stat I said earlier? (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. We win with those players. Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. So like uh, like a I don't know Ostrak I guess would be about like that level. Long term signing, more expensive than minimum salary, but nothing too crazy. What do you think, Santiago? You asked. You know, Ostrak is one of the most. You know, Ostrak is one of the most expensive players on our team, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, I, yeah, I think there is going to. Yeah, I think it's seven hundred, seven hundred thousand oh or something. Seven hundred base, eight hundred one guaranteed. Oh yeah. wow, uh, but yeah, I think there is going to be at least one roster addition. Mm-hmm. But uh, the good thing, and I think we talked about this at the beginning of the season uh, when we basically realized there weren't going to be any more additions and talk about it um, on another podcast it was like okay 
the team is gonna go with the guys that are here with the guys that are part of the roster see how things go and um, if needed make adjustments um, make an addition or two but now the team can be basically patient because it's in first place has a lot of points is in a playoff position and um, I think that can be good too because since you are not rushing into it you have time to look at the market and not rush to a decision and maybe you will find a player mm. that really fits your system and could be what Lutz said not the best player at that position but the player that really fits the system so I think the team is in a good position to to do that and find the right player instead of rushing into just uh, oh we need we need a player let's let's see who's available and mm -hmm. that's what we're gonna get so I think the team's in a good position I agree well, boys, I think we should call it there. Is that okay? Oh, the ball. Yes, Take it, Matt. For, don't forget about oh, the ball. We got to plug it. Our first ever giveaway we still have to plug. And it's <laughs> wrapping up, too. Uh, if you've checked out our socials or listened to the our last few episodes, touted that Nico Sports has generously provided us with a uh, ball, collectible St. Louis City ball to give away. If you're looking at the stream, I'm showing it right here. Um, all you had to do was donate to the St. Luligans Pride Razor at stl.prideraiser.org and let us know on our socials that you donated. We'll have a post up again tomorrow uh, for you to reply to. Just let us know you donated and you are entered. We'll do a live drawing of the winner next week in uh, our post-Independence Day first flyover in the transfer window episode and we'll we'll draw a winner and we'll get this mailed out to you so let us know when we post tomorrow on socials and good luck be for, anyone, for anyone wondering the team has scored eight goals in june <laughs> that's right your pledges per goal scored pledges per goal scored st louis has scored eight goals in june love it and that's it that like that's the, it, yeah right? june matches are over this next match yeah. is july so so get your pledges in and let us know that you did that. Uh, we also got stickers to give away. Maybe we can start giving those out. I thought I'd plug that on the podcast that ah. maybe we'll bring some and just hand them out if you guys say hello. I love I'll meeting people, them, but I'm bad I'll at I'll start having hello. them with me at games. So yeah. I've had a couple people say they, they enjoy the pod and it means more to me than you honestly know. Yeah. But I'll, I'll start keeping stickers with me. So if you come up to me and you let me know that uh, you, you listen to the pod and you like what we do, I have a sticker for you. I, I want one. <laughs> oh, I have sleeves for you guys. I have sleeves for you guys. Love it. None for Santiago, though. He doesn't get it. <laughs> I just remember walking around with Jake, and he had just joined the podcast, and he would get so many people being like, I love the podcast. <laughs> no one knew who I was. It's my fault. I don't say hello to anyone. I need to. So, anyway, if you'd like to, please do. Uh, that's it from us. Thanks for joining us and sticking around this long. The transfer stuff's fun, and, and I think that's it's just the beginning. So there will be a lot more from us in the future. One thing I'll say really quick, Phil, is uh, don't the, the window opens this week. We, t we just talked about whether we think somebody will get signed, and we'll actually have that. I think that it will be later on in the window. Mm. I think the, the breadcrumbs have been laid of the window goes from July 5th to August 2nd. League's Cup break is July 15th. All those things are setting the stage for an announcement later on in the window. If the first week, the first weekend go by and we haven't announced anything, please don't panic. If the whole window goes by and we don't sign anybody, you do what do whatever you feel like. But give it a few, give it a few days, a few weeks. Yeah. Let the window get let let us get to the break and we'll see what happens. 
And yeah, I think St. Louis like gets all everything in order and they keep it a secret. And then I think mm. they they mm. I don't think they like MLS knowing until the very last minute. So I think that's kind of how they keep their keep their secrets that uh, uh, MLS has. Yeah, I mean MLS has no idea any more or less than than we do as fans. So that'll be that'll be fun. Don't get too hung up on what you're hearing or not hearing. Fun times. All right, bye everybody. We'll talk to you on Monday for Fly Over Fallout. Bye bye. Bye. Vamos City.